Hello and welcome to The Trusted Advisor, a channel-focused podcast and video series powered by the Retail Solutions Providers Association. I'm Jim Roddy, your host for today. Thank you so much for joining us. This pod and video series is designed specifically for point-of-sale resellers and software developers, and our goal is to educate you on the topics of technology, leadership, management, sales, marketing, and other small business best practices. Today on the podcast, we'll be talking reseller innovations with special guest Bill Fultz, the Vice President of POS for Heartland POS. Bill has been a member of the Heartland team for five years now, starting as VP of Commerce for SMB Operations. Prior to that, he was Director of Operations at Menusoft Systems, and for six years, he worked for VAR Delaware Business Systems as company president. He is also Dare to Lead Certified, which we'll talk about a little bit later. Hey, Bill, always great to talk with you. Welcome to the pod. Thanks for having me, Jim. Excited to be here. Yeah, nice to uh, connect with you again. Bill and I have been on some uh, panels together in the past at uh, at other industry events. So we're talking reseller innovations. That's a focus. And I really wanted to get your perspective because you and Heartland work with so many different VARs, resellers, dealers, solution providers, call them whatever you want. And you get to see the best of the best, and you also get to see what's not working. So instead of us just talking innovations in general, I'm hoping we can break them down into specific segments that you've seen, starting with VAR innovations with technology, and then also building technology bundles. So let's start there. What are you seeing that's working from a tech standpoint? Yeah, I think that some of the things um, that are that are happening now in the VAR industry um, have been accelerated by the current environment. I don't think that they were they started uh, when all of this started with us. You know, it, resellers as a whole have always had to be innovative. Technology has always been challenging them, giving them opportunities uh, to grow their organizations and also the things that they were currently doing may be commoditized. And so I don't think that that has really changed and, and is a new world necessarily for, for our VAR channel. We've just had to really get fast at adapting to it rather than taking months or quarters or years, heaven forbid, uh, to adapt to things. You know, We've had to do it really quickly. Um, and so I think when we see those who have been successful that in the recent time period, they're the same dealers that were, were innovative prior to that. They have made a conscious effort to drive their businesses forward, not be complacent in the day, um, you know, move beyond sort of that hardware only offering, moving over into software and then into services and, of course, into that subscription model, which is, is prevalent in there. Those who had done their prep work up until this point are accelerating through that. Um, those who have sort of lagged a little bit in that approach have found themselves almost in a um, survival perspective to having to make those changes and pivots. Um, and the good news is because this community in general uh, is very willing to share, we've seen a lot of collaboration happening between some of those who have been on the forefront already, helping those along, providing some guidance and insights, uh, much like the RSPA is doing today with this with this series. Great, thank you. And I, you know, you mentioned recurring revenue, and you know, we've seen the transition to the as a service uh, business model. I guess, what have you seen from that in 2020 uh, in particular? Are there d different technologies that you see resellers uh, are adopting on an as a service? Uh, basis, any technologies that stand out to you that you'd recommend uh, that our audience should dig into to, to increase their own recurring revenue? Yeah, so I think that the the payments obviously is, is think well known in our industry and, and what that does. I think what was interesting to see is the reliance on payments in a down economy on how it was a double-edged sword. So yes, recurring is great, 
But when it's predicated on volume and consumer spending is down or businesses are closing faster than they're opening, all of a sudden that uh, that ever-growing exponential curve uh, doesn't happen. And I think some people were caught off guard by that. Um, you know, and, and uh, you know, it's a lagging indicator a little bit because as those things are happening, it's normally a 30 or 45 day lag. And then so then cash flow um, hit, and I think in a very unexpected way. Um, so, and, and I know, Jim, you and I have talked about this in the past and, you know, I've, I've, I've gone through many of those, the diversification. I mean, it's a, I know it's a buzzword, but those who are diversified in their recurring revenue saw the least amount of impact. So those who had also incorporated software, who had also incorporated services, who had put in uh, managed solutions, whether that was networking and security or other uh, consulting services that dealers had bundled together to provide a larger value proposition to customers, found themselves not um, as acutely affected by the financial spend of the consumer uh, because those businesses still needed to operate. Um, for the most part. So yeah, we had some closures and things and temporary shutdowns. It's still impacting dealers across the country in retail and hospitality. That diversification is very, very important. Um, some of the things that we like uh, that dealers have gotten involved into um, is, is really looking at the holistic picture of what a business needs, their merchant and what they need to provide. Of course, POS is, is always sort of centric in that for, for most of our resellers. Uh, payments goes really hand in hand with that any time today, um, but also looking at their larger technology. And I think there's really interesting things that have presented themselves. Um, digitizing menus, uh, it, it sounds so simple, um, but that service alone, I know a lot of VARs and resellers quickly realized that in this contactless now world that restaurants and, and retailers were forced to do, um, that they could provide very low tech solutions uh, could do them remotely, which I think is a really important component. Most of the success we're seeing is not on-site or on-prem um, services or solutions they're offering, but they're all done remotely. And they could do that rapidly. They could do it at scale, which I think is another interesting thing we'll dive into a little further today on not just doing one-offs, but building something for scale. And digitizing menus is, is a great example of that. They were able to solve a need that their customers had quickly with technology and normal and resources, most of the dealers and resellers had in, in their own shops, and they were able to provide a great solution quickly at a low cost to their customers. So that has been very, very important. The other side of this, and we're really starting to see this play out even further in this year, don't expect it to slow down, um, but in uh, this economic climate, which for some it's a boom, some it's a bust, some they're you know, toe in the middle of the line, Spending capital, high, high levels of capital on technology is really, really scary for a lot of customers. They they don't know what tomorrow brings. Are they going to be in a temporary shutdown or they're not? So saving cash flow um, has been really, really front of mind, not only for our dealers, but for our, for our merchants as well. So dealers who have been able to get into subscription programs offering low upfront cost options for their customers to get into um, has been really important to drive the technology that these customers are looking at dealers are in a good place to provide. Yeah, for those who are watching this on our YouTube channel, I've been nodding 
uh, all throughout because I'm agreeing with what you're saying and you're really echoing uh, what we talked about at the RSPA Academy Education Symposium, our industry expert panel, not diversifying your verticals, right, because then you're not an expert, but by diversifying your revenue. And then also you mentioned a holistic approach about really becoming that total solution provider, not only limiting yourself to what happens at the point of sale. And you said digital menus is a, is a great example of that. Can you give any advice or, or any insights in terms of what you've seen? If a reseller is listening to this right now and they're like, man, I'm more of a POS dealer than I am that holistic provider, what are some steps that they can take to start going down the path in order to do that? How do they begin that journey? Yeah, I think the if you're if you don't have the resources or you don't feel you have the the bandwidth internally to maybe tackle some new frontier with your customers, I think there you mentioned one which is very important. Don't look to branch outside of your vertical that you do today. So if you're if you're a specialist in grocery, stay a specialist in grocery. Don't go and try to capture a new market like C stores, if if for an example. Um, do what you do well because that's where the value comes across. You have the most Profitable dollars are going to be made in the vertical you know and you're an expert in today. Um, but if you feel you're you're stretched or tapped in that um, networking, I know it feels like you know it's a 1990s uh, theme there, but networking with other businesses and like-minded entrepreneurs is a way to get involved. Find those who have expertise in that niche and get close to them. It doesn't have to be adversarial. Um, you can learn a lot from each other. Um, and you can scale moving forward. And, you know, it doesn't mean that that is your strategy forever, but it could help you gain a foothold in your market today and become that leader uh, and bring those expertise to your merchants at, you know, at a capacity that you're able to take on without growing your costs or your labor overhead. Um, and so I know it feels cliche, uh, you know, to go, you know, networking and, and, and all that, uh, but it really does work. And, and opportunity brings opportunity. One of the things that we have seen that has not worked, and I won't call out names because uh, it's not, not valuable, but the, the folks who are really struggling in the VAR community that we see have their heads in the sand and, and they're trying to take on the world by themselves. And you know, we, we have a, a terminology and organization stronger together, another one of those fun buzzwords we like to throw around, but it really works. Like you cannot do everything yourselves. Um, if we haven't learned anything from this new world environment is that you know we need to rely on a lot of varied resources to make this thing work and it can uh, but we've got to be open to it and realize sometimes all those don't come directly in-house yes and the power of of community is really important where it's going to take you a long time to build up that internal expertise but if you lean on your vendors lean on your distributors lean on isvs lean on other resellers and really find again you don't just jump into a partnership without getting to know somebody but a uh, lot of opportunity there. And I know, Bill, that you guys have a community. RSPA, anybody who's a member listening to this, we're more than happy to make warm uh, introductions uh, for you. If I can also share, uh, Bill, the, the power of community and leading on one another. Do you remember the first panel that you and I uh, did together um, a few years back at the Vartec event? Do you remember that at all? Oh, yeah, we did. Yeah, I do. So here's part of why I uh, remember it is, um, there was a mix-up uh, internally. This is going back three or four years. I didn't realize I was supposed to be on this panel, and uh, I'm actually going to another panel is starting in the in the POS world. I get a phone call from my cell phone. This is down in the Bahamas uh, at Vartech. Mark Fraker, the VP of marketing, he says, "Where are you?" 
I said, oh, I'm watching this POS panel. He said, well, you're supposed to be on my panel. I'm like, what are you talking about? That isn't until this afternoon. He said, no, that's the other panel. You need to come into this room. You're a panelist. And I didn't even know what the topic was. I remember walking to that room and seeing the big sign out in front. It was some like really technical payments thing. I remember thinking like, oh my gosh, like I am not a technical payments guy. Like I can give a reseller standpoint. And Bill, I was so happy to see you at the table. And also Bob Janesh uh, was there from Digital Transactions. And remember before we started the questions, I like huddled you two guys together. I'm like, I'll, I'll give the reseller perspective. You guys got to go first. Like you guys are the experts here. So I am, if I had a cap on now, I tip it to you. I'm forever indebted to you. And again, it just shows the power of community where you guys brought your own specialty. I brought my own pr uh, perspective to it. Uh, again, forever, forever indebted to you for that. So again, it was just another panel for you, but for me, it was uh, the least prepared I ever was walking into a panel. <laughs> yep. That was a good, that was a good afternoon. Yes, always, always happy to lean on you. And so we'll continue to do that for the next uh, 20 minutes here. And so thank you for talking technology. Let's talk about innovative go-to-market strategies and tactics. So what are some innovations that you're seeing from Heartland resellers in the areas of sales and marketing? Well, I think one of the areas that we've seen um, resellers really have to dig deep is remote selling. Um, and so when you talk about community and the VAR, like their go-to-market, uh, so much of it, was getting face to face, you know, at the table with the merchants, sitting down and demonstrating what they could do, whether it was from their technology, their point of sale solution, their organization value, um, all that was done face to face. And so um, for generations, frankly, and so now we're forced into this, how do we sell and move product? We have customers who have needs and wants, but we can't go out into their stores, um, you know, either for, for various reasons. And so remote selling was, was a big component. You know, how do we get, how do we show an experience? How do we create an emotional connection between uh, a, an organization and a merchant and, and not just become like everyone else on the internet? Um, and so I think that, that was challenging and still continues to be a bit of a challenge, I think, for a lot of our VARs to do that, um, but they're getting really good at it. Um, and all of a sudden, this thing that you, know, you can't sell over the internet or you shouldn't sell over the internet um, has, has grown into something really interesting. And they're using their technology, they're using um, the tools of their organization to demonstrate that, not just through like, you know, slideshows and, you know, long-winded pitches. We're talking about dynamic um, presentations using tools like Showpad, for example. I know a lot of resellers are, are using that where a customer can engage. So you, you kind of, uh, it's really hard to make sure that, that customer's connected to you because I'm sure all the web calls that you've done, as I have lately, like engagement's not always there. Like you could be on the call, but not in the call. And so that's a problem if you're trying to sell and, and, and get a customer to sign up with, with a service. So getting tools that the merchant can get into their hands, um, making sure that they have the app or whatever they're trying to show in their hands while they're talking through it. Those, it's, it's using the technologies that we've all taken for granted and using it to, to promote and, and educate around our tools and technology. Um, that's gone really, really well. Great. Uh, tell me, you mentioned Showpad. Uh, what exactly uh, is that? If you can kind of paint a picture for folks who are like me writing down that note and saying like, Showpad, I got to dig into this. What, what exactly is it, Bill? Yeah, so um, it's, a, it's a way to present uh, multimedia to, to a prospect. Um, a lot of, some people also use it for training materials internally. Um, so it has a lot of uses. And there's, there's other things that do that. What's interesting to think about this tool is it actually helps you measure engagement. So you can tell if they've accessed that sales and marketing piece. You can see what they engaged on and what they actually 
are are using that gives you great information to what you want to be following up on what lit their interest whether they verbalize that or not on the call with you even after the fact what are they looking at so that you can have meaningful follow-up dialogue i see that uh, tip sharing for example um was something that you know you you access multiple times after our call is there something we need to dig into on that or you're having a problem that i can you know show how we're solving that and so it's again all of those nonverbal cues that we would have done in person, we're able to use technology to help capture that and provide a more meaningful experience um, in our engagements with, the, with our prospects. And it's not just a tool you can use for, for acquisition of clients, you can actually use it for sending it to your merchant base too, measuring their engagement, what are they enjoying and seeing, all in one sort of easy to use tool. And you can do this, what's nice about that tool, you can do it remotely like we just, we just did, and I've also seen some salespeople actually take it with them in the field when they are able to do a face-to-face -face interaction, putting that there, and it just it makes the the transaction more powerful. Interesting. Yeah, thank you for that. I know I've heard a lot you about don't need remote. a technical degree to run it. It's super okay. simple. <laughs> Great. Yeah, I've heard about a lot of folks, you know, being forced to go uh, remote, but then struggling. What tools do I use in order to do this? So that's a, that's a good one for for folks to look into. So remote sales, and then also remote service as well, right? Because services had to change drastically uh, during COVID. But I'm hoping you could pull back a little bit and tell us about what service innovations have you seen from resellers, both related to COVID and also unrelated? Like what are just some general best practices that you've seen how resellers are serving their merchants better? One of the things that, um, and I think it's what's the, the mother of invention is necessity or however that one goes, yes. um, is deploying hardware. One of the elements, whether you're in retail or you're in hospitality, is you've, you have to deploy some level of retail, even in this cloud-centric world that we're in, there's, there's hardware to deploy. And I think uh, we've seen dealers get really good at staging that internally and getting it into the customer's hands. Not that it doesn't require their services or they could just go buy it offline. Like they're providing a lot of value prior to that piece of equipment even showing up and making sure that they're using tools that allow them to dynamically manage it. So if it's not quite perfect when it arrives on site, that their technical teams can remotely administer that, make sure that it's absolutely in uh, perfect working order and spending fewer and fewer trips on site. So, and those are lessons learned now out of necessity that are going to pay dividends as we scale forward. I don't see us um, slipping back into old habits of just putting people in trucks and sending them all over the, the, the country. I think we're going to continue to see um, really necessary um, efficiencies happening in that. What's also facilitating that is a larger acceptance from the reseller community to drive their platform or hardware as a service or a subscription methodology. Um, we have seen those numbers skyrocket on our side from, from the VARs that we interact with. Uh, you know, Prior to, call it March of this year, about 40% of all new sales activity included like a hardware as a service or platform as a service, we're now upwards of 65%. Wow. And so I think that there's, there's a couple things driving that. Um, the technology is, is readily available. Um, it's what customers are looking for. Again, sort of that economic cash flow uh, problem to solve. And, and from a reseller's perspective, it really simplifies the on-site need. Um, they're able to just drop another box uh, in, in the mail. 
uh, and then send the other one back. Doesn't matter if it was just simply a configuration or if it was a legitimate hardware failure. They're using those tools to be more efficient and satisfy the, the sort of the efficiencies that they need to reach. Because one of the things that we're seeing at the merchant level, um, we look at uh, one of the great things about organization, we don't only just see the payment movement in the broader economy. We are actually, we have a payroll part of our business. And so we can see who's actually on staff. You know, a merchant that had 10 employees before this, how many employees are there? Um, we see this trend in dealers and we're seeing it in merchants. And that although stores are opened, they're doing it with less people. And dealers are the same. They are open for business, but they're generally doing it with a fewer uh, number of teammates. And so being efficient in that, uh, from a technology perspective is really critical right now. Yeah, and we've talked about efficient with your sales, right? Instead of having to drive somewhere, you can make more sales calls, more presentations in a day. And like you said, from a service standpoint, where instead of setting it up on site, um, and I can tell you, I've talked to multiple resellers who have said, I'm not going back to doing it the old way. Talk to a smaller one who's based in the West Coast and they did a virtual presentation, even though the person was local. Then they had somebody who was uh, further away, actually almost all the way across the country. And both of them were willing to travel and meet. And he said, why should I do that if it went so well, right? Like, why should I even, why should I go back uh, to that? And so you're thinking this could be a permanent change. Like this is where the pendulum is not going to swing back. You think it's, we're going to stay in this where maybe not everything is remote like it is right now, but far more remote uh, and far more hardware as a service. Uh, that that that's a big jump, getting up to sixty-five percent. Yeah. No, I don't think this this doesn't change. Um, you know the the profitability and uh, that this adds back into organizations. I don't see why we would we would abandon that. Yeah, and especially we said merchants, if they're realizing I don't have the cash, I don't want to bet a lot of money on new technology. I'll just do that monthly uh, payment, even you know, no matter what it. Uh, um, you know, what I prefer to do, like that's really what, what necessity is calling for, as, as you brought up. So well, we're going to dive in a little bit more, but let's pause here for a moment to let our listeners and viewers know that an RSP membership has never been more valuable or more affordable. The RSP has expanded its VAR and ISV member benefits to include discounts on health insurance, HR services, office supplies, and shipping. Also, RSP members now have access to a legal advisor, security advisor, and a VAR and ISV business advisor. That's all included in your annual RSP membership, which a reseller starts at just $250 a year. That's 68 cents a day for these high value services. Um, without the RSP membership, you'll either spend thousands of dollars paying an outside consultant who doesn't know the channel, or as Bill referred to earlier, you'll end up going it alone during these turbulent times in our industry. Accelerate your success by joining the RSPA today. Also, thank you to our sponsors who support the RSPA community and make this podcast possible. Our platinum sponsors are Blue Star, Heartland, ScanSource, and Shift4 Payments. And then finally, in response to the COVID-19 crisis, the RSPA has launched the RSPA Solution Center, a new online platform designed to introduce VARs and ISVs to innovative solutions and connect them with the providers of these solutions. You'll find product details, videos, white papers, case studies, channel executive contact information, and more. Grow your channel business today. Google RSPA Solution Center. To receive the benefits of an RSPA membership or RSPA sponsorship, email membership at gorspa.org. That's membership at gorspa.org. All right, so we touched a little bit on staffing. And so, um, you know, you mentioned how resellers are running, you know, leaner and meaner than they have in the past. And so I'm hearing about some resellers who are hiring or outsourcing developers to add their own 
uh, add to their own intellectual property. So building upon their core POS software or maybe some outside software that's doing online ordering and you know having their own modifications to really serve that niche audience. So I'm curious, are you seeing more of that? And do you think that's something that's effective and innovation that uh, other VARs should look into? I don't know if we're seeing more of it or less of it. Um, it's always been something that's out there uh, to some degree. Um, you know, I think that uh, when we look at um, talking a little bit back to where we talked about stay in your vertical competency, right? Um, many, not all, but many VARs are not software development houses. And so um, what normally is necessity brings about, uh, you know, the, the sort of the catalyst to, to maybe look at this. Maybe they're not finding that solution in the market today through ISV channels or uh, they have specific client niche requirements that they're trying to solve in order to capture or save business. And so I think that's where it comes out of. And I, and I liken it to this, um, those niche projects can actually be very effective, um, you know, of, of getting either internal, if you're able to hire um, and, and you have access to resources like that, to bring in some development work, uh, to augment maybe some solutions you're already offering or, or to modify some small niche apps. Um, that can be an offering. Lots of third-party organizations of varying quality are out there. Uh, and I would say buyer beware. Um, if it's too good to be true, um, do your due diligence. Um, software is a very interesting animal from a, from a legal standpoint. Um, I also, I've never felt company uh, comfortable back in my VAR days of a third-party entity writing software that I was explicitly installing on my customers but not really really knowing what was under the hood like okay it did what i thought it did but what else is it doing and capturing that i didn't ask for um those are things that are they're real concerns that you have to really think about and it's not just your your dealership that you're putting on the line it's your merchants as well they are in good faith using your services and solutions and so you really have to know what you're doing uh end to end with that before just jumping in and saying oh i i, I gotta someone in, a, in an Eastern European country to write me an app and must be great. So I think that that's, that's there. And you know, I sort of put this analogy to one dealer who asked me if they should get involved in this. And it was like, well, if you have a small project in your home, say you know, a, a remodeling project, you're gonna hire probably a local contractor to do that. But if I'm gonna build an interstate to go from coast to coast, I'm not gonna use that same home contractor, even though he's, he's sure fired, he could do it because he's built other things they're not always an equal to equal comparison. So um, I think if you're looking at small niche applications for clients, actually smaller can be better at times because they're very close to the problem. Uh, it's a one-to-one -one sort of merchant to solution opportunity. Um, but if it's bigger in scope, I would say that there's probably more failed attempts in the reseller community than there are successes. And that's just a broad, paintbrush I'm using right now, of course, for retail and hospitality, but we've seen it all. And we've seen even at the merchant level, a merchant thinks, hey, I can go build this myself. I don't need a, a, a software house. I don't need a dealer. More times than not, they come back to the dealer at the end of the day after a lot of wasted money and time. Um, that's there. So, and I would say this as well, where we've seen success from this approach. Again, back to that niche client, something's very specific to your merchant base that you're solving a problem for as a dealership, there can be great success in that and, and, uh, and reasonable profitability too. Where we see where it really starts to get off the rails is, oh, it's great for my company. I can sell it to other dealers. 
Well, now you've added such a large complexity around something that's already pretty difficult. Now you have to support other resellers. Now you're on the hook for their merchants. And that is, is generally not what most dealerships are engaged in their day-to-day -day activities. And so it's one of those things that if you're, if you're really keen on it, I would highly suggest that you, one, talk to others who have done it both successfully and unsuccessfully. Like go find both sides of the coin and do your due diligence. The other is have a business model that shows that if you do continue down this path, what is the profitability? What's the liability? And do a, a real business plan around it rather than say, hey, I got a guy who can write some code. Let's just let's throw it out there and see what happens. Um, it's a serious undertaking. Um, and, and with all the complexities of cloud and security and all that stuff that now uh, touches, um, we just had a, a VAR, not a great story for the positive side of this, had a VAR who partnered with um, a third-party entity only to realize that they were exposing payment data in a non-secured non fashion. And, you know, after several months of the product being in the market, they discovered this is out there. So, you know, again, buyer beware, do your due diligence. It can be successful, but it's not 100% uh, foolproof by any means. Yeah, it's not like adding a new technology or bundle like cellular failover. Right, like you can go and partner with somebody and they're able to install that and the thing just kind of works. You get alerts and stuff like that. Like that is an easy bolt onto your business. I haven't seen anybody do this successfully as a hobby, right? Like I'm a VAR on and I'm gonna do this ISV thing and kind of dabble in it. It really changes what you do and it really changes the competence, competency that you need to have. And like I said, you, you really have to dig in before you determine what's gonna work for you. And I've always said in business, I've learned this the hard way, just because you can, doesn't mean you should, right? And just because you can go and do your own software doesn't mean you should. You have to see what's gonna fit your own uh, situation and make sure you find the right uh, partner or partners to do that. So that kind of dovetails into my next question. So can we talk about what you see that's that's not working? So I know it can be instructive for resellers to understand things that they should avoid. What are some common mistakes that you've seen resellers make and, you know, or what could some of them be doing better? I think you kind of alluded to that earlier in terms of the folks who, you know, have their uh, head in the sand or just aren't uh, moving forward. I guess, can you expand upon that or some other mistakes you're seeing uh, some resellers make, Bill? Yeah, I think this seems a little contradictory to, to an earlier statement, but I think one of the mistakes that we see is going too much into the recurring too quickly. Um, and so that that throws the cash flow of the business upside down dramatically. Um, and it's often because uh, the presentation to the customer hasn't been refined enough where you're, you're able to say, okay, this is a value statement. These are This is the service I'm delivering you today. Tomorrow that service has already been performed. And so I, you know, I can't go back. I can't recover it if you decide not to pay me next month on my time. Um, so being very aware of what's appropriate to charge as an upfront cost versus a recurring cost and, and that delicate balance that exists and explaining that to the customer of why. Yes, I need X number of dollars to deploy your system and the monthly cost for that is going to be you know, X. So having that, um, is a real important sort of tipping point from success to failure. We've uh, consulted with many um, dealers who were like, I went all in, I did the playbook, I drank the Kool-Aid, I can't pay my people. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and it was like, hold on, let's let's draw it back. And they're like, yeah, the value proposition is off balance here. We've, we've got to bring that in. I think that's the biggest challenge we see in order to capture the sale, 
to, to gain new business that we're going a little too deep into realizing there is value in what these, the reseller brings and the time and the energy that they put into it is cannot be left behind. Right, like adding remote monitoring, you know, if someone adds that kind of software, some other managed service, you might be able to do just a flat monthly fee right from the get-go because there's not a lot of overhead. Blake said hardware as a service or a major installation and configuration, you've got to figure out what is up front and, and what do you do on a monthly. How can resellers figure that out? Like what is the best way to do that? Is that something they have to figure out on their own or is it going back to what we said earlier, lean on the community, talk to other folks, talk to folks like yourself and say, how are there, how are other people accomplishing this? Is that really kind of the only way to do it? You just got to do your legwork? You'd have to do your legwork. Uh, obviously asking others who are doing similar situations or using similar uh, softwares or deployment practices and seeing what's working for them um, and asking a question, what's not? I always call it the rule of halves when you talk with the reseller community. If it's great, then it's probably half that amount. If it's bad, you should probably double that amount and use that as a guidepost. If you can operate within that area of threshold, you probably have a, a success in the making there. Um, I'd also mention that it's okay to do when you're in, getting involved in say maybe a newer service or a new add-on to your organization or um, you know, sort of modular, element that you're doing, uh, do one and really do a deep analysis on the first couple and understand it's okay to do market research um, and then adjust your business plan accordingly. So if it took you four more hours than you expected as an average, then incorporate it in, into going forward. Just because of what you did yesterday does not mean you have to continue that practice tomorrow. We see that so often. Well, the last guy got it for this amount. The next guy won't pay any more than that. That's a fallacy. You know, customers raise their prices every day. Things change. You learn in the market. You need to adapt. And there's no reason to continue to throw good money after bad. And don't be afraid to say it. Hey, we did charge so-and-so this amount. <laughs> we took it on the chin. We want to do a quality job for you, Mr. Customer. This is what it takes to do a quality job. They, you see the quality job we did here. This is what I need to do to make sure I'm here for you tomorrow. Um, making sure that you're not apologetic for being a business. You are a profitable business and you should never be ashamed to make that proposition. And if you can't make it work to say, we can't do that profitably and move on to the next opportunity. Yep, you've got to find the right kind of customer who values your value. If all they care about is price, 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 then they're probably not the right fit for you. And I know that's easy for me to say, easy for us to say, right? Because we're not that reseller on the front lines, but you got to keep looking and, and find the right kind of person who really matches your culture or else you'll just be sacrificing for them and then sacrificing for another. That There's no book written that says that's a successful uh, business model. And so uh, tying in with that, you know, about uh, culture, uh, my last couple questions, I want to start here. Can you talk directly to the reseller leaders in our audience and talk about, you know, we've had the backdrop of innovation. How important is it for them to have a culture of innovation inside their organization? You know, making it clear to your team that you want them to generate and test new ideas. It just doesn't all have to come from the person who has the CEO or president or, or owner title. Can you talk about the importance of a culture of innovation? Yeah, culture is, is critical to any size organization, whether you're a two or three man shop or you're a two or 300 person organization. You know, culture sets the tone and it it's what your customers perceive. Um, if your culture is one where you value your people, it's going to be a lot easier for them to convey that for the customer to value their services. 
Um, so it's 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 360 in scope. What you do internally eventually makes its way to your external um, perspective. And, and when we're talking about technology specifically, if you have created an environment or encourage an environment for people to try, not for people to hit home runs or grand slams every time, but to try, you will find that more things enter your business faster of benefit. Now, you've got to be diligent as sort of the the oversight of that to make sure that you're not on wild goose chases, that you're not wasting time and energy in, in bad endeavors, but making sure that people have the opportunity to innovate. And whether that's a new approach, a process, a product, or even potentially a vertical expansion, allowing others in your organization to bring that forward is, is really important because no matter how good you are as an individual leader in your business, and I would say it's probably established that you're probably great because you've built a business, you've got it. There's no question. You've got the, the medals. You, you know, you've proven you can take the licks and be successful. But if you can create clones, just think of yourself. How many more opportunities that affords? How many sets of eyes and innovation perspectives that that now brings to the table where it doesn't have to come from one source? And if you really do this well, at some point in time, you'll realize that less of it comes from yourself and is coming from your team that you've built around you. And that's, uh, and I, whether you love him or hate him, that was always Ronald Reagan's sort of secret to his success that he said, he, I was never the smartest man in the room, but I surrounded myself with the smartest people. And that's why we were able to make progress and grow. So, uh, and I know that seemed a little lofty if you're a smaller organization, um, but it is important. And it, it not only does it bring innovation, it brings attachment from your from your people. Uh, and so when there are hard times like we've faced in the last few months together, they're gonna stick with they're gonna stick through it because they want to belong in good and bad times to an organization that finds value in all perspectives that are brought to the organization. Yeah, and, and to your point, you don't go from a dictatorship where you're the leader and you're answering all the questions to just suddenly throwing the person out to the wild and saying, Okay, I guess you're in charge of of everything. I call that ignorant empowerment, right? <laughs> just the person doesn't know what they're doing, but you're going to empower them. And you certainly wouldn't want your surgeon to do that, right? Like, okay, here, have the scalpel, you know, take a, take your first chance at it. But like a couple questions I wrote down is asking on a regular basis, what do you think, right? And before you, they get out into the wild and they uh, go and meet with the customer, then also ask them, if this was your company, what would you do? And just have that open conversation, and they might come up with an answer that isn't the exact one that you had, but it's still going to be a good answer, or their thinking might not be right. And you can explain to them why their thinking might not be right or expose them to different principles or share different stories with them. And I guess say, is, is that kind of what you're saying? Is that's kind of the path, is having those conversations, putting the burden on them, really talking through it, and that's going to help build up that that culture. I guess any other uh, advice or feel free to disagree with uh, with what I said there in terms of how do you get from, you know, zero to 60, uh, you know, one step at a time in that culture? It all starts with communication, you know, asking questions, allowing people to speak before you speak, I think is a great approach to at least get going into that. Uh, it doesn't mean that you have to agree. It doesn't mean that you have to necessarily turn the ship with whatever that opinion is, but that same valuable insight that you're going to prov provide back, that coaching, that valuable feedback, you're getting that to make a better decision as well on the on on the uh, on whatever it is that you're facing. So it all is in communication, and it and it can't be punitive. 
Um, you know, and there's there's little things that we see where you know uh, folks ask opinions and then you know they roll the eyes or they they you know they're dismissive in in that. You got to be aware if you're going to be open to input, um, then be open, and it it makes a big difference in in the morale. Um, and you'll you'll hear a lot more ideas come into the table rather than problems. And so one of the things that we encourage folks to do is you can bring any problem forward in any in any meeting that you want to, but you have to come with, with, with a viable answer or a question behind it allows to get to the answer. And if you're willing to do that, then bring it all forward because it's worth discussing. Yeah, that's a great point you make that you have to let those ideas bubble up. You can't be shooting them down. Even if what they say initially you disagree with, get them talking and get them to share more information out on the table. When I was at Jameson Publishing, we published Business Solutions Magazine. One of the owners in our steering committee meetings would write in all caps, smart silence, and he would trace it over and over when he had this urge to go and speak and tell everybody what they should be doing. And then at the end of that meeting, that smart sound was traced over a whole bunch, but it really became more of a round table. You know, I want you guys to lead this organization. I'll jump in when I need to, not I'll jump in uh, every single time. So um, along the lines of leadership. So we mentioned at the outset earlier this year, you received Bill a certification that says you're dare to lead trained. Uh, can you expand upon what dare to lead is and what you learned through that? Yeah, so Dare to Lead, uh, which is from the, uh, Renee Brown, who has uh, brought that uh, a number of books on leadership uh, and what does it mean to be a leader in, in a modern organization. And so we went through it in our entire company. Um, it's sort of like a uh, get all of our leadership on board for 2020 on, on what we wanted to do. And you know, some things that really resonated through that um, were, were two concepts. One is clear as kind. And you know, back to the point of, of faltering a cost of culture of uh, innovation, um, clear is kind. So we tell one another, we communicate clearly what we're thinking, not what we think the other person wants to hear, what thinks makes us look best, that we're very clear in our feedback to one another. And we do it in a kind way, not disrespectful, not shooting things down, not giving snide remarks or that, uh, um, you know, sarcasm and all that other stuff that sort of ekes into our, our interactions, but be kind to each other. Because if I really want us to do well as an organization, then I want what's best. I have positive intent in what I'm doing. And so I'm gonna do that in a clear and a kind way. And through that, we encourage people to rumble, not fight, not fist a cuff, <laughs> but rumble respectfully with each other when there is things to be challenged. If things don't seem right, or you're not, um, you're not uh, you're seeing a perspective as, as the correct solution. So this approach uh, we've tried to bring culturally into our business and it's been really effective. We find that um, people are self-managing. They're able to, to get into those conversations and as a leader, you're simply watching for those things to happen. And if you feel or see a situation where, you know, oh, there's gonna be a meeting after the meeting or there's gonna be some backbiting after this is all done because people aren't in alignment here, that we call it out. Hey, Sally, I, I, I don't think that you actually agree with, with Sam's point. Could you tell him why? And encouraging that in a respectful way while we're face-to-face, -face, we're finding gives is making us move a lot faster because we don't spend so much time finding the truth if we're uh -huh. willing to just share it with each other on the front side. So there's a lot to it, um, but that's been really helpful, I know, within my teams uh, of getting that interaction and of it's okay to disagree it's great to bring up ideas 
And we're going to do it respectfully and in a caring fashion with each other to build a positive culture. I, I really like that. Like the phrase, well, you said clear is kind and then also rumble. Like it's not a, an all out fist fight, but it is, you know, disagreement and healthy disagreement. I grabbed my folder um, that I've held on to for years. And this is for when I'm with an organization and we have uh, our either steering committee uh, meeting or RSP, we have a weekly team huddle. And I have a quote from Jim Collins in here that says, I don't know where we should take this company, but I do know that if I start with the right people and ask them the right questions and engage them in vigorous debate, we will find a way to make this company great. You cannot skip over the vigorous debate part, right? It's not just getting the right people, crossing your fingers or go work your magic. You have to have vigorous debate to, to get to, the, to where you wanna go. Absolutely. Yeah, and so we, we do practice this, not just in our internal, uh, we work with our VARs as well. And so you have to do it, in, we do it in smaller groups, but where we're looking at a new idea or a new approach to um, some sort of problem or piece of software, we actually bring those things in and we're trying to apply those same principles. They've been very successful in getting quickly to the crux of what we need to do and walking away with a, a consensus of how to do it. I love it. That's that's good stuff. And my last question for you kind of ties in with that uh, uh, prior one. Uh, and we only have about a minute left. But can you recommend to our audience a book to read, an online resource to follow, a podcast to listen to that'll help them improve their organization beyond Dare to Lead or Good to Great that we uh, that we just talked about? Yeah. So one of the ones uh, that we we did right before COVID, and we're continuing to apply its principles, is from Alan Cooper. The inmates are running the asylum. It's all about technology and what we do and how we do it needs to have the right perspective and that our, our viewpoint is valueless. It's what we're doing for our customers um, and how we approach that, that determines value. And it's not always the biggest, shiny, glitziest thing. It's the thing that provides the most value, I think is the crux. And so we've really been trying to drive that message as we look at new technologies to put into our merchants and dealers and VARs hands, are we delivering something of quality? Is it something the market wants? Are we doing it just as a me too? Um, that's really a, uh, the respectful way to move forward. And it's, it's um, you know, that pays dividends in the long term for us. And give that book title again, The Inmates Are Running the Asylum? The Inmates Are Running the Asylum by Alan Cooper. All right, good. I'll have to look it up. I'm guessing there's another one, maybe not by Alan Cooper, that might not be quite the right book uh, that folks yeah. will be looking for about inmates running the asylum. So. Well, thanks for that resource, and uh, thanks, Bill, so much uh, for your time today. To our listeners and viewers, we hope you enjoyed our discussion. If you did, be sure to subscribe to the RSPA YouTube channel and the Trusted Advisor podcast so you never miss an episode. We'd also appreciate if you'd rate us wherever you find your favorite podcast. My personal philosophy is the more stars, the better. And if you'd like to learn more best practices for VARs and ISVs in the point-of-sale channel, check out the RSPA blog. You can find it at gorspa.org and then by clicking on RSPA blog. Before we go, big thanks again to Bill Folsom Hartland for sharing his wisdom with us today. Thanks also to RSPA Marcom Manager Chris Honored for his production work, Joseph McDade for our music, and last but not least, thanks so much to you for listening. Our goal at the RSPA is to accelerate the success of our members in the point-of-sale ecosystem by providing knowledge and connections. For more information, please visit our website at gorspa.org. Thanks for listening, and goodbye, everybody.